listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. helpful bits of encouragement I received on the path was from a, a very unlikely very unlikely source um, he was a a lay ordained monk so in other words he, he didn't uh, take on the, the, the priestly vows and so forth but uh, was Living, um, living in Thailand, uh, in his um, parlance, he said, "Well, I've been on the lam from the United States government for the last 40 years." <laughs> it's pretty much the first guy I met at this uh, at this particular monastic community. He was one of the few guys who spoke both English and Thai, and he was uh, about he's pushing probably. 75, 80 years old. He'd been doing this for quite some time. But uh, I didn't ask his story. <laughs> I wondered what that might have been. Yeah, it really kind of piqued my, piqued my interest. But uh, he was saying that out of all the sitting, the meditation, the clean living... You know that he had been engaged in over the uh, the years at the monastery. He said that he'd come to see that realization or enlightenment was more than anything else about not ever having any insulation, not ever having any insulation. I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I kind of sat with it, and it just stuck with me. That was one of those little lines that just kind of stuck with me, not having any insulation. What is my insulation? How do I insulate myself in this process? And letting that little question kind of uh, batter itself around in my mind and in my heart, uh, did wonders to kind of orient the work. Now we can insulate ourselves um, through our self-image, how we see ourselves, our identities, our roles that we play, our belief systems, our affiliations with whatever they might be. Our good deeds, our bad deeds, our sense of grace, our sense of guilt, our sense of power, our sense of weakness. All of these things can be insulators from what the universe is offering us at every moment. And exploring these uh, various aspects of ourselves well it'll put it into one category every single one of these little areas that we kind of 
cling to all arise out of this fundamental sense that I live somewhere in here behind my face and body and everything else is out there. That sense that we have is the source of every single bit of our suffering. Yazutani Roshi said this beautifully. He said, um, he said, the fundamental source, no wait, the fundamental delusion is that we believe that I am in here and everything else is out there. And if we consider that our separate self-sense, which is another way of describing the ego, feels naked and exposed until it can begin to layer or shelter or clothe itself. And once it gets a set of clothes on, we can look at Maslow's hierarchy as to how it takes care of itself. It goes from basic survival, it goes into group identification. Group identification usually involves structures. So instead of just being clothed, now it's got a bunker. And it can associate itself with other egos that are also feeling vulnerable. Group identification, then we, we can kind of keep going up and up and up and up until it gets to this point uh, of self-actualization. And egos love feeling that they have actualized themselves. In fact, they do feel this quite often, especially when one of the things they cling to more than anything else is their spiritual identity or their identity as teacher or their identity as, well, I'm a good person or I'm a bad person, whatever. They, they, they start clinging to this identity. And once they've identified who and what they feel that they are, then they're awake. This is a great trap. Because that insulation is particularly thick. It hasn't just gone to the clothing, if you will, of the ego. It's now gone into deep, deep structures that the ego not only affiliates itself with, but it also gets feedback from those very structures saying that it's right. And this locks us. This kind of puts us into a position of uh, being stuck. And so we go back to that old American on the lamb. I can, I can just imagine him like in 1962 in some big heroin deal gone bad or something like that. And he'd say, well, I'll just be a monk. <laughs> but he got this very clearly. Whatever his past was, he was very clear about the fact that realization was about no longer allowing for that insulation to be there. How do we get rid of it? Recognize it first. And in that recognition, you'll find that the light of that awareness, the light of the awareness, undoes the dark of the insulation bringing our awareness to every single layer at the subtler and subtler and subtler levels. 
allows for us to become utterly vulnerable, utterly naked in the face of what is. An uninsulated life is a life that is ready to allow the universe in, through, and out consciously. And that kind of being that can allow the universe in, through, and then out consciously. Not only, as I say continually, allows for the world to change them, but they also then miraculously have this tremendous power to change the world. They see reality in a much broader sense. They see themselves fitting in to Indra's web, the great interconnection of all things. They see, recognize, and have this felt sense that that separation that they had carried is not real. It's not the whole story. That there's so much more. And that more, paradoxically, shows up as less. So the step that I'd like to really kind of focus on tonight is something quite simple. It's stopping looking and listening sounds like I'm talking to a bunch of Indian guides stop, look and listen (laughs) but recognize what's going on let that question in what's insulating you what are you allowing to insulate you from the infinite's continual offering of grace I don't have an answer for you and I never will I can tell you both experientially and because I've read way too much that what's getting in your way is nothing other than the aspect of you that feels apart from everything else. Giving your full awareness to that will radically change your life. Don't take my word for it, though. Just try it out. So with this idea of no insulation in mind, which can be fairly threatening to the ego, that separate self-sense, the mind, you can use all three of those interchangeably. Um, How is it that we can encourage within our experience uh, an opening to no more insulation. We tend to doubt and create excuses 
for enlightenment. It's a very, very uh, real tendency uh, that we see time and time again in that uh, people tend to, uh, well, you know, maybe my next life, which is a great stomping ground for ego. It's a great place for ego to hide. If not now, when? You know? And so what this, and I know I'm going to sound kind of like a cheerleader as I do every once in a while, uh, but what this really does is it hopefully unlocks the door and allows for us to recognize within this lifetime, within this lifetime, awakening is not only possible, it's going to happen. Now, let me tell you when it will happen. It will happen at your last breath. The goal here is to try to get it a little bit prior to that at least. At least ten breaths prior. <laughs> but there, quite honestly, is this, uh, this cult of satisfaction with partial experiences, with uh, maybe in my next life, with, oh, it'll never happen to me, I'm not worthy. With, you know, all of these are stories that are really about insulation. They insulate us from the experience when in fact those very pieces of insulation are offerings into the heart of awakening. But the ego is not going to let us go there because it's too threatening. And why is it too threatening? Because what are we awakening to? We're awakening to a kind of life that can be lived outside the trappings of an ego that's continually shielding us from feeling life as it's meant to be felt. Or so the mystics say. So, rather than living a life bound by doubt, bound by excuse, looking at this, looking at the excuses we offer ourselves, looking at the doubts we have, is exactly the practice. Being aware of these doubts, shining the light of that awareness, just like we would shine the light of awareness on our knees, on our feet, on our arms, that have lifted so much and held so much. That same awareness of our internal experience is exactly what sets us free. Practicing with this as we meditate is what sets us free. So, I would ask of you, and please don't answer, but just kind of take this in. Do you feel like you have an internal commitment to awaken? Or is this just something you flirt with? Have you been burned before as a practitioner? How bound are you by your doubts? How many excuses have you offered yourself? Are you ready to step into 
through and from the light of the infinite consciously or are you content to live behind ego's shield actually I should make that plural shields the mystics and the uh, the Buddhas and the ancestors of this and other traditions all do a, a great job I think of offering us a way out of that last choice um, exposed instead of having the shields up swords drawn we lay the sword down and the shield down simultaneously because we realize that there's nothing to oppose except our own judgments our own stories our own if you will performance of resistance on the stage of mind that being in the audience of that stage and watching that experience happen that audience itself has a choice it can believe the stage play or it cannot believe it it can recognize it as a stage play and as it recognizes it as a stage play there is freedom I remember being afraid uh, by uh, Boris Karloff as a kid and simultaneously just taken with his performance uh, uh, of Frankenstein. I remember watching that, you know, done at Universal Studios way back. Um, and then Universal had this great, great idea. We'll take all the scariest monsters that we've ever put on screen and then we will couple them with Abbott and Costello. <laughs> right? And so then they could soften the blow. Right? Um, and so it was much easier for me to watch Abbott and Costello, especially, especially Lou Costello, who to this day, I, just he busts me up. But... Uh, I remember a scene with him and the Wolfman, I guess it was, and you know Lon Chaney Jr. is positively creepy as the you know when he would transform into the werewolf and they do the again the time lapse photography and so forth on him. And I would sit there, I remember, and just like force myself to watch it, it's like, you know, and then kind of watch it, and then I could realize that, oh, this isn't real. And then of course I had. My loving mother come in and say, oh, honey, you can't watch that. It's violent. Turn that off. Want some cookies? <laughs> right, Mom? Something like that. Actually, she did, I think, a beautiful job letting me watch it. You know, letting me kind of work through this and then offered the cookies and so forth. And we had this great conversation about it's not real. And that's kind of the job of those of us that sit on the cushion to help encourage you guys to go ahead and stare at the, at the screen, okay? Stare at the stage play that's going on in your mind. And I'm just going to kind of, I'm not going to offer you cookies, but I am going to tell you that it's not real. It's made up. Well, who made it up? You did. Along with all this cultural conditioning along with everything, every, every story that was written in your past, everything that ever happened to you helped create this series of scripts that your ego delivers so skillfully that it uses, it uses as shields, as insulation. 
Our job, look at the insulation. Study the self. Study this experience with your full heart and your full mind. And you'll start to recognize that there's no need to live in opposition to anything, really. When there's no need to live in opposition, we suddenly start to recognize that there are no problems. There are only situations. And when we see that there are only situations, there's this precipitous drop in the amount of fear that we have. We become deeply participatory in a deeply revelatory life. We engage from this place of open, fearless generosity. <laughs> no matter what our circumstance is, no matter what is coming up in awareness, we find that our home is actually in the awareness. We find that everything arises within awareness. And that our home is awareness, therefore everything arises within us. That there is nothing outside of this awareness. <laughs> there is nothing, therefore, outside of us. We are at one with the infinite. That God is impossible to pray to God prays to herself through our meeting hands. And this radically shifts the way we can meet the world. Oddly enough, going back to the old way not only makes little or no sense, but it also um, is quite impossible. And we nourish, believe it or not, our evolutionary expansion. Instead of by moving, we encourage it by stopping continually. So when I yammer on about stopping... I just mean stop the delusion. Stop the stories that keep arising. We stop, if we stop and um, kind of create an internal vow to know truth, the kind of truth that goes way beyond mine or yours, when we commit to that journey, towards truth we're forced to let go of positively everything last message ego wants to hear but a point of primacy in this work letting go of these roles that we've had and letting, letting go of the roles that we've had, the stories that we've told ourselves, the affiliations we've joined, every other layer of insulation, letting go of all these layers of insulation does not mean that we reject them. Rejecting them just puts more insulation around us. We let go of them, meaning that they now become an object of study.
and what is studying them is a deeper subject. Instead of being bound by the insulation, instead of identifying with any and all insulation, we become aware of the mechanism of identification and the insulation itself. Pop. Pop goes the weasel. We're out of the box. We're out of self-imposed jail. This is Buddha. This is the Christ. This is awakening. Any questions? Yeah. different things that can prevent us from awakening. And in the beginning you were talking about you know, feeling separate, that that is a big um, obstacle. And then you were talking about insulation. And I, I understand the insulation and I can see examples <coughs> in my um, path of that. Mm-hmm. But the separateness, it seems like just knowing... Just turning that around and saying, okay, I'm not going to feel separate anymore. I'm going to feel connected to people in the world and see us all as one. Just thinking that way doesn't doesn't seem to be enough. Thinking, let me try to repeat the question. Um, Thinking that we're not separate, when I think that I'm not separate, isn't enough to allow for a feeling of connectivity to arise. Is that kind of what you're saying? Just... Thinking or awakening to happen. Awakening isn't going to happen just because I think or I understand that we're connected. Or not suffering is what you're saying. It's the not suffering. So that suffering still continues even though I can recognize that we're all connected. Uh Okay. Um, The problem is that I'm going to peel your sentence apart here and hopefully it'll explain how the origin of that suffering is still present even in that comment. Mm -hmm. Okay. When I, separate, think, act of separation, that I understand, meaning I can comprehend of what you're saying, you are saying to me, that we're connected. And when I get that, I still don't feel awake. Well, in essence, I'll translate it another way. Separation recognizes from something that's also separate that tells me we're not separate, that we're not separate, but I still feel separate. Mm -hmm. That's because the separation is embedded in the way an I experiences you. I'm going to reach out to you for an answer. Mm -hmm. That's delusion. Mm -hmm. Okay? And yet... That's what gets us started. So the fact that your mind was kind of tweaked by this and it recognizes eh, there might be some truth there. I don't get it, but there's some truth there. But damn it, you know, just because I can recognize that truth and I'm still not awake, this is screwed up. Right? And so doubt arises. 
resistance patterns arise. You know, all, all sorts of stuff can come up. My suggestion is, instead of looking to understand the concept, look at the part of you that is doing the understanding. This backs us out of thinking because the thinking mind is always wants to get it. The non-thinking awareness that I keep kind of trying to pull us toward doesn't give a hoot about understanding. All it's about is reflecting what's actually arising. All it's about is just witnessing whatever's coming up. Oh, there's a mind trying to grasp a concept and it can't. <laughs> this mind is trying to awaken. But I'm already here, fully awake. But I'm highly entertained by the fact that it's still working this thing out or trying to. We'll never get there. So, I would encourage you to watch the confusion, watch the doubt, watch the resistance, watch the frustration. The watching is actually what begins to break us out of the spinning mind that's always trying to grasp. It's always trying to intellectualize. This has nothing to do with intellect. Intellect, in fact, can get in the way a lot. Because, you know, we can, we can get to a place where it's like, well, you know, I intellectually understand it, but, you know, this isn't practical. Well, if that's where we're, we're going, we're actually stopping the evolutionary step that's being required, which is not just here. It's here and beyond both. And that all of that happens, all of the delusion happens because the belief is that I... In here, I'm separate from everything else out there, including awakening. God damn it. Right? It's it. I got to get it. No, it's what's already gotten. It's the one thing you can't escape. Your awareness is the one thing you cannot escape. Unless you, you know, drug yourself into, you know, oblivion. Your awareness, even then, is usually put into a space of feeling good but you're still aware of that feeling good. The awareness is still there equally, no matter what state you're in. Play with that, Joanne. Yeah? I'm just going to resist. I could just keep the questions. Good. Yeah. So watch them. Watch them. And be patient with them. Okay? Well, going like this helps. And backing away. Oh. My, my my hand motion, the gestures. You like? Want me to keep those? I'm gonna hang on those a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Feeling as much as I was trying to understand it and picture what it would feel like to be completely connected. Yeah, knock yourself out. Go with it. Go knock yourself out. You're gonna find yourself so unbelievably frustrated because everything you think awakening is, it isn't, and everything you think the feeling might be like, it isn't. And so, as William Blake says, uh, I think it's the fool who follows his folly becomes wise. Now, I'm not calling you a fool. I'm just saying that any of us that really starts, look, I mean, what, talk about foolish meditation. 
meditation is designed to destroy us. It's designed to eradicate fully the idea that we are somehow far away from uh, God. Or, excuse me, closer to God. That we can get any closer to God. We sit still so we can get closer to God, right? We pray so we can get closer to God, right? The sitting still, we start recognizing how it's all about failing that effort. And how beautiful that divine disaster is. You'll never get closer to God than you already are right now. What a stroke of grace. Now I can die. Right? You're welcome. Young man? You're speaking of watching. You're speaking of something that's going on during meditation. Or not. Or I have trouble. I really see that in meditation. What about just in normal behavior? How are you watching? Are you um, aware right now of how the center of your chest feels? The center of just imagine, just feel it. Can you feel? Yeah, I can. Okay. That's watching. You cannot employ that awareness. That awareness is automatic. It's effortless. Now move the awareness from the center of your chest, please. Can you move it to your left shoulder blade? Yeah. No, this, no. Is, this is not just in meditation, you're saying. No. In life. Same, same kind of watching can take place wherever we are. Exactly. And so my recommendation is that it becomes, life becomes a continual meditation. That when we formalize it in our sitting practice, which I think is incredibly important, that actually is the heavy lifting. That's the workout. All right? That's the workout, like going to the gym, okay? The musculature, I hate to use, just stick with me here. The musculature of our spiritual life becomes simultaneously enlivened and stronger the more we have kind of a disciplined sitting practice. And then what happens is we find that it carries over and carries through that the infinite's offering actually is something we can consciously experience no matter what situation we're in at any point in time during the day. Positive and negative. Any state we're in is fine. Any state we're in is the perfect opportunity to become more deeply aware, to check in with our bodies. And I really like that move just because it's the one we ignore most and it's the one that we can experience most readily. We tend to be here. We tend to think through we tend to apply rational thought, to, which is really good. It's especially, it's much better than irrational thought, which can get frustrating to watch or be on the other end of. The body, though, becomes this space that extends itself beyond rational. It just is. Can you explain love to someone who's never... No. Can you, better yet, I had a monk in Nepal give me this one. He says... We were talking, uh, we are at this table, and they're doing this. Essentially, it's called, like, Dharma combat. And what these guys would do is they would make a point, and they would rotate their hands like this, and then clap them together when they make their point. Like that. And so they're doing this at each other, you know. And I'm just kind of sitting there enjoying my uh, quinoa, you know, and tea. And uh, the, 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 one of the guys I was sitting across from, he's from Israel. And he says, he says, Okay, fine. And it's a very thick accent. So how do I know enlightenment exists? 
And um, one of the guys says, you have no idea that exists. It is not what you think it is. And he keeps like clapping at him and so forth. And I'm just sitting there cracking up. This is the funniest thing I've, I've seen in quite some time, especially since I've been in like, you know, this meditative reverie forever. And he, uh, he kind of he keeps going. He says, best way I can explain. How do you describe sweet to someone who has no taste? <laughs> I thought it was perfect. It's just absolutely perfect. This is something you have to taste, the sweet. And we taste the sweet, this nectar of experience becomes readily available to us and becomes enhanced and becomes available. You know, uh, uh, how, how do I want to describe it? It becomes uh, deeply embedded and cultivated in our meditative work when we do that heavy lifting, when we're working out. You know, when we're working out, sitting still, it shows up and then it gives the opportunity for it to kind of coalesce in the most surprising ways, you know, during the day, during our sleep patterns and so forth. We can start to recognize a much deeper awareness that kind of carries us. Yeah. So give it a shot. Great questions, guys. Beautiful. Yeah. The pressure's on, man. Pressure's on. But it's either beautiful or great, or just we're going to utterly discount it. What's the difference between watching and detaching? What's the difference between watching and detaching? Well, I would, I would humbly recommend that you continually watch. This kind of goes back to Skip's question, that we're continually in a place of watching. Got it? (laughs) Right? We're always watching, always aware of kind of what's going on. All right? The more aware we are, the greater the choice, the capacity for choice is. What I would continually recommend, humbly, that you don't ever fall into is detachment. Detachment is attachment because detachment is not unhooking ourselves typically in practice it's shoving away and the minute we are shoving anything away we're actually just attaching to the opposite of what we're pushing against even if we don't know what it is so instead of detachment i would recommend unattachment or non-attachment do you understand the linguistic difference there detachment is a push away Okay, or rejection, typically. That's typically the way. That's the way the rational mind will typically look at it. I want, if I can just communicate, practice mind, to be about openness, and openness is unattachment or non-attachment. And so, paying attention mm-hmm. and staying, uh, identifying more aspects of what I'm watching. Uh huh. With a discriminating awareness. And a discriminating awareness is not a clinging awareness. No. Okay, a clinging... Just wanting to, to see. Good, good, because a clinging awareness is going to have an opinion about what it's seeing. Mm-hmm. This, what the, the practice actually uh, supports, is an awareness of what's going on. A discriminating awareness, meaning that's a memory, that's a judgment, that's a plan. My God, that's a bus. 
coming at my coming at me you know that's all good it's that's a memory i hate thinking about that you know that's a plan oh my god what happens if i can't make that deadline right the, do you understand the difference one spacious the the one prior is spacious the latter is is very contracted the spacious one is an awakened space the non-spacious one is an egoic constricted space so one way to tell is if it kind of it opens and it also lacks resistance. Resistance is something our bodies can feel and our minds can feel or rather than feel our minds can recognize our awareness can recognize resistance so easily, which is why checking in with the body and feeling where it's holding is such an elemental but beautiful practice. It's a beautiful way of getting us into that meditative witnessing awareness no matter what's going on. You can always tell that the space is open because it lacks resistance. And it's, it's really a cultivation and an expression of grace and ease. And in fact, I go back to this, I think it was Eckhart Tolle who said, if it's not, if you are not in a situation, or you don't find yourself in any situation in a space of grace and ease, ego's in charge. It's a good little tip there, isn't it? A little enlightenment tidbit there for everybody. But very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Got time for one more. Unless it's really be- beautiful question, by the way. Yeah. So, so I can tell all of you are really intimidated right now. But... Yeah, please. I noticed during the guided meditation that I couldn't really localize where my awareness was coming from. Was it from the outside looking in? Was it from the inside? Every part we were going to, it seemed like it was in constant flight. Hang on. Did everybody hear that? He couldn't tell where his awareness was localized. Was it coming from outside in or inside out? Continue, please. <laughs> this is good so far. So. so my question is, I mean, to me, it seemed at that point there was no outside inside. That it was just this. All right, we can go now. All right. Yes, yes. There is no outside. There is no inside. There is just this. Mm-hmm. And flirting with that beauty becomes art letting your life flirt with that beauty becomes an expression of a life well lived okay fearlessness arises out of that recognition generosity arises out of that recognition we have wisdom meeting compassion in that moment right there And so being able to kind of just touch that spaciousness without reaching. Touching it and simultaneously letting it touch us. It's as if we're drinking this just the most beautiful beverage. You know? It's like we are literally in a place of open communion with all. No boundary. Just this.
thank you so much tonight for coming. Appreciate it.